You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Quickly, Now, what I want you to do is turn to 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. But I don't want you to stand up for just a moment. We'll do that in just a second. Let me say a few words uh, by way of uh, just introduction. Sometimes Paul uh, uses his dad voice. Now, uh, we don't know that he ever was a dad, but, but he certainly sometimes had to be the dad, especially in Corinth. And if you think about it, from time to time, as a pastor, that's what a pastor has to do. He has to have that voice where he is correcting and instructing and trying to provide some insight, almost like a dad or a mom might do. It occurred to me as I was sitting down there and waiting to come up here that this room is filled with a lot of moms and dads, and we know how hard that job is to care for our kids. It's a hard, hard job. And it occurred to me that that what Paul is trying to do in this text is he's trying to take some worry off the plate of his parishioners. So to put it in other terms, uh, he's trying to take some worry off the minds of those who are going to church there in Corinth because they've not been acting super good. They've not been uh, doing all that they should be. And, And Paul wants to encourage them. But what came to my mind as I was preparing to come up here was this. Parenting is hard, but one of the things that we can do as parents to make things better in our home is to make sure that our home is not a place where our kids worry. We don't want to be a cause of any worry. Our kids are getting enough to worry about in the world. When we have our children come into our home, one thing that they need to know is that we love them and cherish them. Of course, we're holding them accountable, but it should never be that that our children come in and are afraid. Now, I mentioned that to you, not to just give you parenting advice, though that really hit me, that, that, you know, we think of all the things we can do as parents, what do I need to do? I need to do this, I need to do that. Well, one of the things we need to do is just make sure that we are removing as much worry from the system as possible. Now, if that's true, let's look at Paul and what he has to say here in 2 Corinthians 13 in light of he is trying to take one of those big elements of worry off of the hearts of the Corinthian Christians. He realizes that there is cause for concern in their hearts. And here's the deal. What the concern is, is whether or not they are truly following Christ. So I'm going to ask you to listen carefully today. Get your attention focused, because here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to ask the question, what does it look like if I'm truly following Christ? What does it look like if I'm doing right by Jesus? In fact, That's the language that we used where where I grew up. If you were doing right by someone, you were respecting them and honoring them. You know, mom might say, did you do right by your teacher? Did you, were you obedient? And most of the time I'd say, well, probably not. But anyway, uh, doing right by. If we're doing right by Jesus, if we are honoring him, if we are Christ followers, these are the things that I believe will be a part of our lives. Now, It it seems like if we're going to question your salvation, that all I'm going to do is make you worry. But that's not the case at all. I want to take away that worry. I don't want you, if you're a believer here today, to walk out of here worrying. But if you are not a believer, then I want you to hear the word of God and realize that the only hope we have is to follow Jesus. So if you will stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word, let me read a few words to you here. Verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Notice this. Examine yourselves 
to see whether you were in the faith. Now remember, he's talking like a dad to his children. He says, test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. Verse 8, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you. It's like dad riding back home, right? Uh, Making that phone call, making sure everybody's behaving. That when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. That last line is definitely a dad line, okay? So Paul is speaking as a spiritual father to his children in Corinth, and I pray that he will speak to us as the children of the Lord today, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we want to ask for you to move in our hearts today And we pray that you will take away some of the worry of the world, some of the worry that the enemy puts on our hearts. God, I pray that the people in this room will walk out of here today ready to serve you and to be more like you wherever they go. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I want you to know we often worry about the very things that the Bible has taken off of our plates. If you are a Christian, if you've opened your heart to the gospel, then you can fully trust that God will not let you go. But I want you to note this, this statement right here. I want you to get this in your head, okay? So pay attention. It says, we can rest assured in our salvation, but we must be restless in our pursuit of holiness. Here we see tension, okay? The tension is, if we are truly saved, we can bank on that and believe in that and rest in that. That is true. But that doesn't mean that our lives become inert or inactive. In fact, I think that the pursuit of holiness is the natural progression of a person who is doing right by Jesus. And again, doing right by Jesus, if you follow my, my take here, what the, my take on that phrase, doing right by Jesus, it just, it just means to honor Jesus. Now, to get to that place where we can really make a difference for Jesus, notice that Paul tells us that we need to examine ourselves. He says, examine yourself. He's talking about your heart. So even today as I'm talking, the idea here is is that the word that I'm preaching and teaching to you, it should serve as a way for you to evaluate, to examine your heart. Because I can't know what's going on in between your ears. Now, when I see you on your phone the whole service, I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with what I'm saying. Um, but, but the truth is, even then, I don't know. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where your mind is this morning. But I guarantee you, the Lord knows. And if you're honest, if you come to church and you pretty consistently just don't worship and don't listen, I want to tell you right there, you may be here in the building, but I don't know that you're in Christ. Being here isn't enough. Being in Christ means that you are different. And I'm going to show you in the word today that if we are a believer, there are just certain things that make us different. We are to be a peculiar people. We are to be different than the world. Ezekiel, the prophet, puts it this way. If we don't have Jesus, we have a heart of stone. And that means that truth and worship and things like that, we can be around it. We can say, oh, that's good music, or maybe that was good preaching, but it really doesn't change anything. Ezekiel says that when God gets a hold of our hearts, we go from having hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. 
And all that means is our hearts are soft enough to be penetrated by the truth and to be conformed uh, to the truth and conformed to the image of Christ. You should be built a little different if you're a believer. But if you're not built any different than the world, what makes you think you're a believer? See, those are questions we need to get at today. Now, today what we're going to see are three basic truths. The text lays out perfectly in this way. First, a Christian heart is willing to be tested. So you're doing right by Jesus when you are willing to be tested by the Spirit. Second thing we see here, a Christian heart can only love true truth. And I'll talk more about that in a moment, what I mean by true truth. And then thirdly, and this is where I really want you guys to dig deep, I believe that if you are in Christ, if you are saved by Jesus and a follower of the cross, I believe that you will be a person who has a heart that admits that it's weak. You heard me right. Admits weakness, will seek restoration not only for yourself but others, and you will gladly receive rebukes when they're from the Lord and they're from the Word. Those are three clear ways that Paul says, listen, church, you need to know that you know that you have Jesus. And if you don't, then let's use these things to bring to your mind and heart that there may be trouble. Now, let me state what I just said negatively. First, if you do not have Jesus in your heart, you do not want the accountability of tests. You don't want to be tested. You just want an A in the class without doing any work. That's the kind of person you are. If you are not in Christ, you just want the grade without doing the work. Secondly, the heart without Christ will go the way of untruth for the sake of expediency. And what I mean by that is, is that truth is good. You may be telling people, well, I believe this and I believe that. But in your quiet moments, when you've got a chance to do the right thing and no one is looking, you do the wrong thing just so you can get ahead. That's what a non-believer would do. And the third thing here, negatively speaking, the unsaved heart doesn't think weakness is a good thing. They only want to be stronger. They don't care about restoring people because that takes time and it's messy. And they will certainly hit back at anybody who ever points out their weaknesses. Now, I want you to know today, we're talking about some things here that get down deep inside of us. The devil wants you to tune out and just get ready for lunch. All right? And some of you are out to lunch every Sunday. So let's not do that today. Let's be focused because, listen, we are talking about your heart. Do you realize that what I'm talking about today is going to either give you confidence that you're in Christ or it could point out that you are in grave spiritual danger. Today, we are talking about lost and found, and we want to make sure that we are not lost. All right, let's look at the first point here, the test. If you are doing right by Jesus, it requires us to take a test. I don't know if you know this, but real tests are hard. Very few people like to take tests, but we all know that life is full of tests. It's fun. I, I talk with my kids and, and, and hear about their experience in school. And of course, in the COVID age, so many classes have been online and, 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 and education is just different. Tests are different. Now we take them online and, and sometimes we have chances and double chances and triple chances to get them right. Back in my day, you took a test and if you did bad, the teacher just said, well, I guess you're dumb. You know, that's just the way it was. There wasn't much positive reinforcement. And that was at seminary. Come on. So, you know, 
it's, it was tough. I mean, we had to study for tasks, and they were real tasks. And sometimes I'm, I'm talking to people today, and I'm not sure you guys know what a real test is. Now, some of you, I'm sure do, so please, no, no snide remarks now or later. Uh, I'm sure you do. But it seems like we're raising a generation that just really doesn't know how difficult tests can be. I thought I was a really good student. I ran into this guy, and he was, uh, he was a professor that had trained in South Africa, actually. And he used the British system, and everybody took a test. In fact, uh, another, another brother that I, that I know, and many of you know too, was in the same class years ago. Kevin Cook, we talk about this all the time. We had this shared experience together. We took this test, and we thought we knew what we were doing, and like the highest grade in the class was like a 61 I mean, it was the hardest test I've ever taken. I couldn't believe that anybody could take the material and make it that difficult. That was a test. Now, I'm telling you, there are tests and then there are tests. So, like for instance, in your Christian life, if, if you're struggling with a, a minor thing right now, you say, well, okay, well, that's a test, but it's, it's not major. But I want you to know, the more you walk with Christ and the deeper you walk with him and in relationship with him, those tests are going to get harder. And I don't want you to feel like if you are experiencing a test, that that means you've done something wrong. In fact, in the classroom of life, there will always be tests. And Paul is telling us that there are going to be tests. He says you need to examine yourselves. He tells us very clearly here we have to test ourselves because if we don't, I promise you when the world tests you, you will not be ready. The only way to prepare for this test is to constantly test yourselves, to examine yourselves, and to put your heart in the very bright light of the Word. You know how it is like in a science class when you're looking at things under a microscope, you have to light up that thing so that you can see inside. And that's what Paul is telling us we need to do is we need to allow the light of Jesus to shine because in James chapter 1 verse 13 we are told that God will test us though he'll never tempt us he will test us and if you're not changing by those tests there's something wrong in fact it's sin a heart hardened by sin is the hardest substance in the universe and the more you have heard the gospel but not conformed to the gospel, the harder your heart will become. You see, it is my job and it's my honor to preach the word and teach the word to you every week. But I can't make you eat the word. I can't make you feed on the word. I can't force feed anybody. You have to want to grow in the Lord. So test yourselves. That means initiative on your end. In other words, you hear the word and you're going to apply that. You're going to allow the word to test you. You need to start thinking in terms of the Bible. When you're looking at uh, decisions in life, let me just ask you, parents, when you're making decisions for you and your family, how often is the word of God informing the decision? There's a test question. If the word of God and the ways of Jesus don't inform your decision making, then you're failing that portion of the test. We need people, parents, and we need people generally who think biblically, where everything is filtered through the word. Listen, you will keep moving forward if you're in Christ. It doesn't mean you're always going to climb in leaps and bounds, but Christians are growing. Dead things don't grow. Living things grow. And no one gets to skip the test because no one 
can rise above or beyond the gospel. Ultimately, every day, you must preach the gospel to yourselves. Every day, you must ask yourself if you are living in Christ, if you are obeying Christ, if you are honoring what he has said and what he would want us to do. The test is, quite frankly, and most simply, how much does your life look like Jesus today? The second thing we see is that those who are doing right by Jesus, it means that they are for the truth. When we compromise truth, we are not walking with Christ. Truth is the gospel. Christianity cannot compromise the truth. Now, I like to think of Christianity as true truth. And I'll get to that in just a moment. It is true truth. I like to distinguish what we're talking about here today from just run-of-the-mill truth. For instance... It is very true that if you go up and climb up on top of your house when you go home and jump off of your house, you are going to fall at 9.8 meters per second per second, which is gravity. Gravity is a law. It is, it is going to mean that not only are you going to fall at that rate, but you're going to hurt your knees and ankles, okay? That's a truth. That's a basic reality. Now, let me just say, Nothing I ever preach or teach to you will be in contradiction to truth. The Bible in no way, shape, form, or fashion will ever compromise any sort of truth. Truth and the word go hand in hand. We can count on that. But what we're talking about here today when I say true truth is a more in-depth look at truth as Jesus would have us look into truth. Notice that for Jesus, he is always living his life according to thus says the Lord. He is always walking in the spirit and in truth. But we learn also in John 14, 6, that the word, uh, in John 1, we learned the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in John 14, 6, we learn that he embodies truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when I say true truth, I mean Jesus. He is always going to lead us in the path of truth, which whether it is objective reality, scientific, empirical reality, all that, mathematical realities. Listen, Jesus is never going to be contrary to those things. He's just above those things because Jesus is the truth that saves us. And here in verse 8, Paul says, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for truth. So why do I mention all this about truth? Well, friend, if you in your life continue to jump off your roof, you will eventually break your leg. And if you continue to not obey Jesus, even in the minor things, and I, I shared with you all last week, just something like not going to church. I mean, we do this all the time. Today in modern Christianity, the forsaking of the assembling of ourselves together has become an okay sin. But I think the Bible would call that a sin. But we say, okay, that is a minor compromise. It's not a major compromise, and thus it's okay. I've had conversations with many people who believe that biblical truth is true truth, and they have no problem with that, and they also have no problem with not obeying it. Now, this is where I say examine yourselves. You say, preacher, quit meddling. Well, sorry, I'm just going to do that for us today. I'm going to meddle a little bit. If you can consistently say no to the little truths, I'm going to tell you, it won't be long until you're able to say no to the big truths. 
I think that it's literally a slippery slope. Some philosophers don't like this idea, but I think it's true when it comes to our moral uh, universe. When we are open to the little sins, it seems like uh, we can very quickly get to the big sins, whatever you want to call those. And all sins separate us from God, so little and big is is certainly just an expression here. But just think about it. Just saying that, some of you in your mind said, well, pastor, there's no such thing as big sins and little sins. You would say that. And yet, the little sins that you keep doing, you keep excusing as not all that big a deal. You can't have it both ways. You can't tell me that, that there's no little sins and big sins and then live in a world of little sins and act like you're doing okay. I don't see many people in the altar, so I'm assuming most of the time you f- figure you're doing all right. Now, I don't know. Maybe the altar's not the only place, but it is a place, and I don't see it as full as it should be because I know human hearts pretty well. I've known human hearts. I know my own heart. I've been tested. You've been tested. And many of us have failed, but I don't know that we're admitting it. True truth will not let you go. True truth, when it starts to get a hold of you, you cannot excuse it. You cannot sidestep it. It hits you square between the eyes, no matter who you are and where you go. That's the way it works. Paul says we can't say anything against the truth. Why? Because we can only say things for the truth. You see, a lost person can work against the truth all day long. I don't want to get too deep in this, but we live in a community where there are many people who would say that you can have salvation and lose it. And I understand why. I've I've seen people walking with Jesus, it seemed like, for years, and now they're no longer walking with Jesus. And the logical explanation is they had something and lost it. But when you look at the scriptures, that's not at all the imagery nor the language that is used. Here's what's scary. There are people who are right now today saying, Lord, Lord, who are going to stand before Jesus, and he's not going to say, I knew you and lost track of you. He's going to say what? I never knew you. That tells me that people can really sprinkle Jesus heavy in their lives and not be saved. This is serious business. I don't pretend to understand this mystery. I've seen it before where I've seen people who seem to be so on fire for Jesus walk completely away from him and never testify in his name again. I don't understand this. But I do know it happens, and I do know that many people are deceived, and I believe many people are deceived because they do not examine themselves, and they are not living true truth. You keep doing your own thing, and you will go your own way, but your own way is not the way of heaven. You are not doing right by Jesus if you are not striving to live the truth. If we can shrug off truth We are not saved from our sin in the name of Jesus. If you are able to consistently make excuses for your sinful behavior, that is not the way of a child of God. This ought to get your attention. Because I think the reason why so many people are self-deceived is because they think their own desires are always the desires of God. But when your desires do not match up with true truth, you better get rid of your truth and latch on to true truth. That's one of the most dangerous things I see in the culture today. And those of you in college hear it all the time. What's your truth? I want to be respectful. I want to listen to what they have to say. I want to love that soul. But I want to tell you, I don't care about their their truth or your truth or my truth. I only want to know God's truth. That's what we should be seeking. 
Because our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things. Be careful. The only truth that will truly guide you is the word of God. And I see too many people shrugging off truth all the time and yet claiming to follow Christ. The word is the final word on truth. Brothers and sisters, the word, capital W, the word is the final word on truth. How are we to be different? Well, one, we will allow the scriptures to examine us. And secondly, we will allow the truth of Jesus to uh, conform us to the image of God and lead us in the right direction. Let me say this. You can have all the Sunday school truths. You can win all the Bible trivia uh, you want. But what the world needs today are people who are filled with Jesus. And when you are filled with Jesus, it's not like you're taking a break from truth. No, you're filling yourself with true truth. And every time you take a step away from the gospel, the the New Testament, the Old Testament, the 66 books of the Bible, when you start consistently making excuses for your behavior, and I've heard them all. Listen, I've heard them all, I think. Now that I've said that, this week I'll hear something different. I've heard all kinds of excuses why people don't go to church, why people don't get involved in ministry. You've been hurt. I get it. You've got your reasons. I get it. This third point, though, I hope you'll get it. Because here's the deal. If we are Christians, we've already said, we will examine ourselves and we'll take the test first. Secondly, we will understand that the answers to that test are only to be found in Christ, which is true truth. Now, let's talk about the practical ramifications of having your heart filled with truth. If you are doing right by Jesus, it means we will live in weakness, we will seek restoration, and we will receive rebuke. Now, listen to this. When the Holy Spirit and Holy Scripture is getting a hold of us, testing us, and shaping us. First, we see how strong and mighty God's word is. That's the first thing we do. A long time ago, I I think of this all the time, like very early in my journey, I had this gift from God where I said, you know what, I think the scriptures are better than anything else out there. I was about 15 years old. I was an unusual child. I don't know how I didn't get beat up every day, but I was more worried about thought, the the, the life of the mind. And I, I was raised in a Christian home, and I just assumed I was a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home. And so I began to question my the roots, the 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 heritage my mom and dad had given me. So I started reading all these other philosophies and and, and man, some of them sounded really good, and they seemed livable and true in so many ways. But then at, at just one point, I know it was the spirit, it wasn't my mind. I just came back to John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. And from that point on, I knew that the word of God was the only way to go. That every other truth had to, be, to bow in submission to the truth of God's word. That's a gift to be able to do. But once we are able to do that, here's the second point, is that we have to embrace the reality of our weakness in the flesh. So on the one hand, I had to admit that God's word was better than anything else in the world. And then I had to admit that I'm not very good at this thing called Christianity. That I am, I am weak and I fail continually. And I am in no means what the Bible would call a strong person. Notice Paul. He does not shy away from calling himself weak. In fact, uh, in verse uh, 
In verse 4, he speaks of being weak in him. And his model, of course, is in Jesus. We see that in other passages there in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 11, 12, and 13. Um, we see Paul talking about that in 1 Corinthians 1. Weakness, a theology of weakness, is a big part of what Paul is saying. Why? Because if we are in Christ, we understand that only he was perfect. When I put my life next to Jesus's, it is no comparison. I am weak where he is strong. Now, I want you to realize something here. Paul is not trying to win an argument with his children in the faith. He is trying to win their hearts. He is saying to them, we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. One of the things the Corinthians had said to Paul is like, you know, Paul, and as a pastor, I'm telling you, I've heard this before. You know, we really like you, but you're not a very good preacher. You're, You're a swell guy and all that, but Apollos is just a lot better than you. You're not a good preacher. You're, you're okay. We're, we'll tolerate you, um, but we like these other people more. Now, notice what Paul says. He doesn't, get per- he doesn't take it personal because he knows. It's just the way it is. People are people. He says, look, I am glad to be weak for you if this will make you stronger. Now, what dad wouldn't say that? What dad wouldn't say, I'll gladly miss a meal if you're hungry? What dad would say, I won't go and get a degree so that you can have a degree? What dad wouldn't say that? Paul says, I want you to be strong. If you need to make fun of your old man because he's weak, you go right ahead and do it because he is. And I think he would kind of smirk and say, and someday you'll figure out how weak you are too, boy. But that's not the time nor the place for that. He wants this this congregation to be restored. Look at verse 9. He says, I Pray for your restoration. I, I, Paul's saying, I, I'll die if you'll be restored, if you will be uh, alive in Christ. Paul tells us again and again, we, when we are weak, that is when we are the strongest. Notice verse 10. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you. In other words, he says, don't make me come. Don't make me come home. I'm going to say this while I'm away, that when I do come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not tearing down. Hear me, hear me. A Christian, if you have Jesus in your heart, not just pastors, if you are a Christian and you're ever guilty of tearing someone down, that is not what Christ would do. Christ convicted people of their sins in his preaching, but he was always in the business of building people up. Friends, if you are a bulldozer, that is not of God. Builders, we want people who are builders, people who are focused on restoration. I got news for you. It doesn't take much intelligence to figure out that people are messed up. And it doesn't take much more intelligence to point out people's faults. But let me tell you where the mess comes in. The mess comes in when a Christian loves the messy person enough to get messy with them, to dive into their brokenness, even though they know they're going to get cut, even though they know they're going to get bruised. But you love Jesus and you love souls so much that you know you're weak and you are willing to share your weakness with other weak people. If you think you're right all the time and everybody else is wrong, you're not doing right by Jesus. Did Jesus, was Jesus able to know the thoughts of others? I think. He knew, he knew everything. If there was any limit, it was his choice. 
When people were deriding him, he knew their innermost thoughts. And he didn't stop trying to reach them. You see, some of you have given up on other people and you can't even really interpret their facial expressions, much less understand their thoughts. And you have no desire for restoration and reconciliation. Let me just say, it doesn't mean you're lost. It just means you need to grow up in Christ. When you have no desire to restore your brother or your sister, that is the enemy, that is not the Lord. You see, I can get... I can get some amens, and I did more in the first service. You guys aren't ameners. I don't know. That's just the way it is. Um, Yeah, there we go. Um, I can get some amens when we start talking about the test and the truth. But the reality is, when I start talking about how you treat people, it's harder to get amens because we don't do a good job here, and we know it. You see, there's a lot of people that don't go to church because we wound people and don't give them a path to reconciliation and restoration. Listen, Jesus didn't come to judge the world. Have you read John 3, 17? He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. And yet many times, quote unquote believers seem to think that it is their job to be judge and jury for people. You see, you're not doing right by Jesus. You may be right. You may have the upper, uh, upper ground, the higher ground. You may have the moral authority. You may be living in a way that that person isn't. But when you're never extending a bridge of reconciliation and restoration, that is not Jesus. How can you look at the cross? How, we have crosses everywhere. We, in fact, even putting the screen down, we got in trouble with some people because it covered up the cross. We want crosses all around us, but are we living a cruciform existence? Are we willing to die for others? Are we willing to lay down our pride so that others can grow in Christ? Paul is saying, you can call me weak all day long. That, if that makes you feel better, but the idea here is, is restoration. The Greek word here means to set a bone in the proper way. If you don't set a bone in the proper way, it will not heal. Let me go one step further. In your heart... If you're not being healed by the grace of Jesus Christ, you have sharp edges and you will do damage to those around you. If you allow your pain to motivate you, you will hurt everyone around you. People, when they sin, hurt people. If you've been touched by sin, you know it. But we fail the test when we allow past pains And here's what I want you to get out of that long paragraph. I want you to get this. When we allow past pains to keep us from loving well in the present. Believers, listen to me. If you are a believer, even your pain will help you love well if you give it over to Jesus. When we remember our own weakness, we find the compassion we need to help others in their weakness. I think this is the final word on doing right by Jesus. When we're doing right by Jesus, we have enough of his presence that we can lead others to the right path of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins. The Lord's asked us, I believe, I I think he's called us to be more consistent in our witness. We need to be bold in the name of Jesus. To be bold in the name of Jesus, we need to have confidence that we are in Christ. Hear me out. We need to have confidence that we are in Christ Jesus. If 
we are spending our time and spinning our wheels worrying about whether or not we are in Christ, I don't know that we can be a good witness. But today, I hope you see, are you, are you willing to be tested by the Lord in your heart? If you say yes, if, if you will allow him to examine you, if you are willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to put your word as the centerpiece of my thinking and the true truth I want to live by. And then third, you say, Lord, restore me in my weakness and help me be an agent, a minister of reconciliation and restoration. That's what believers do. And if you're struggling in any of those areas for longer than a a short season, you ought to be asking some hard questions. And you better make sure you have Jesus, else you'll be that person. And we'll talk about this passage in a few weeks. It'll stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. Are you doing right by Jesus? Are you living Are you living for Christ? We're about to experience the Lord's Supper together. It's the time to get right. Let's have a short invitation and do that. Come forward as the Lord leads you. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.